father my father had five other brothers there were six brothers and just consider if these six brothers have four children uh, that means 24 24 plus 6 30 now if and now they have got married they have their children right So if the palace has 30 rooms, then the inheritance is one room for one family. And that's exactly what happened to that. It literally it happened. I mean, I was quite shocked to see how they're living. And <clears throat> Now, if the thing is, the elder brother, eldest brother inherits, then it remains intact and he can expand it. And other brothers are helping him, supporting him. Like you know, uh, uh, Bharat Maharaj, this morning we discussed about uh, King Rishabdev. Rishabdev had a hundred sons. But who in- inherited the kingdom? Did he divide the kingdom among hundred sons? the kingdom was inherited by the eldest son. Sometimes people don't like it. I know <clears throat> also another family in Bombay, another big family, and the younger brother is, uh, was complaining to me that his eldest brother inherited the thing. Of course, it has been good in a way because Because the eldest brother got inherited the family property, he went out of his way to make his thing and he became a very successful person. So that's another side of the story. So still now some families maintain that tradition that eldest brother, eldest son will inherit. 
Now the question is, what about the other brothers? The Vedic families used to be so uh, tightly knit that they all lived together. The eldest brother, like a father, used to take care of the younger brothers. And the younger brothers were sub submissive to the elder brother, eldest brother. Anyway, so that's <clears throat> now let's go back to Jarasandha. Uh, his father, Brihadrat, King Brihadrat, did not have any son. So he was very sad and at one point he left his kingdom and he went to the forest thinking what's the point now? I don't have any son as a successor. So along with his wives, two wives, he went to the forest. And he was performing austerities and taking benedictions from the saintly people. And there he came across a saint called Chandakoshik. And Chandakoshik understood why his heart was broken. So Chandakoshik uh, just uh, gave him a fruit, gave him a mango. And he said, you give this mango to, his wife, to your wife. He'll get a son. So, uh, Brihadrat had how many queens? So he wanted to be wanted to be equally disposed to all two of them, both of them. So what he did, he cut the mango into half and gave those halves to his wives. And in due course of time, both of them became pregnant. But when they delivered, they delivered half the body of a child. And it was such a disgusting sight uh, that he threw that baby in the forest. The two halves is dead. So he thought. So, uh, and at night, one demoness called Jara found it flesh of the baby. So she became very excited. She picked up and she started to play with it. And uh, she happened to just put them together. And as she put them together, the baby became alive. Two halves became one and it started to cry. So Jara took pity upon them. Newborn, and she thought that the king doesn't have any child, so I'll just offer it to the king. So she went and gave that child to the king, and that was Jarasandha. Jara, the demon is Jara, Sandha means joined. She joined him. And in course of time, he became a very, very powerful warrior, very powerful king. And uh, nobody could actually defeat him. I'll come to that later on. What was the secret of his, uh, of his death? Krishna knew. And Krishna actually had to. Otherwise, nobody could kill him.
So, <clears throat> this Jarasandha, as it is, he was very powerful, and many of the powerful kings were under his uh, subordination and his ally. So, Jarasandha wanted to take revenge. He took a vow I am going to annihilate the entire Jodhu dynasty. I'll wipe them out from the surface of this planet. And he collected 23 Akshoghini soldiers. It's something like all, you know, like there are chariots, elephants, horses, and infantry. So they are called Chaturanga, the four aspects. One aspect is the chariots, the warriors fighting on chariots, warriors fighting on elephants, warriors fighting on horseback, and warrior on foot. And to get total, they came to something like, uh, I have to get the number correct, I'm not going to say it, I will tell you later on after calculating it properly. <laughs> so, <clears throat> mind you, the battle of Kurukshetra fought one of the greatest battle and what was the total number of soldiers? 18 Akshoghinis. <coughs> Kaurava side had 11 and Pandava side had 7. So, together there were 18 Akshoghinis. Akshoghini is the arrangement of the soldiers. So many chariots, so many horses, so many uh, elephants and so many infantry. So <clears throat> he, uh, but Jarasandha took 23 Akshoghini soldiers and attacked Mathura. So at that time, the celestial uh, from heaven to chariots came. And those chariots were decorated with the chariot driver, horses and equipments and weapons. And along with that came Krishna and Balaram's weapons. So Krishna and Balaram, Krishna told Balaram, well, so your favorite weapons have come, your chariot has come, so let's go and have some good time. <laughs> and mind you, though in Mathura their army was practically non-existent because the ruler was Kamsa. And so the soldiers were all Kamsa. Krishna and Balaram did not really have an army. So they had a very few uh, soldiers in their side. And <clears throat> so Krishna and Balaram decided that with that army, they would, that's limited army, they would attack Jarasandha. So Krishna and Balaram, with their chariot and other soldiers, came out of the main gate. And as they came out, Jarasandha's, can you imagine, 23 Akshamini, uh, something like few million soldiers, uh, few hundred thousand chariots, and so forth. Few hundred thousand elephants. I'll give you the exact number tomorrow. 
So, <clears throat> and the ladies were watching from top of the palace. And they saw Krishna and Balaram as they came out, Jarasandha's army surrounded them. And they could see the flag of Krishna's chariot and Balaram's chariot. Now they thought that now Krishna and Balaram has been subdued. And seeing that they all fainted. They just fainted. Now being, uh, and they, you can well imagine how many weapons were being hurled at Krishna and Balaram. But who is Krishna and who is Balaram? <laughs> Supreme Personality of God. So Krishna uh, pulled out his bow and arrow and he started to shoot. So all just Krishna's bow and arrow, Krishna's arrows cut all the weapons. And not only cut all the weapons that was hurled at them, it cut the heads of the soldiers, upon enemies, split the heads of the elephants, uh, cut the limbs of the horses and uh, in no time a river started to flow there. Can you imagine what was the color of the river? It was red. A river of blood was flowing. And there the human heads looked like dark turtles in the river. Horses look like crocodiles. Elef dead elephants look like islands. So this is how Krishna wiped out the army of Jarasandha. After 23 Akshayini soldiers. Then <coughs> Balaram, it was the only person that was standing there was Jarasandha. So Balaram got Varuna Pass, a, a snake was to bind Jarasandha. And so he actually, Balaram wanted to kill him. He actually pulled, lifted his plow. Krishna says, stop and don't do it. He said that, let him go. Because he's going to do some work for us. What work? Jarasandha was actually Krishna's recruiting agent. <laughs> Why did Krishna come? Vinashaya Duskrita. So Jarasandha was bringing all those Duskritams, demons, and Krishna was effortlessly wiping them out. Krishna didn't have to go out to kill those demons. The demons were brought to him to be slaughtered by him. So in this way, 17 times Jarasandha attacked with 23 Akshavini soldiers. And 17 times he was defeated. 
Now when Jarasandha was about to attack for the 18th time, then another complexity developed. There was another uh, very, very powerful king called Kala Javana. So this Kala Javana was very, actually these Kshatriya warriors are very fond of fighting. So Kala Javana couldn't find a single match to fight with. So he asked, one day Narad Muni came to him and Kala Javana asked, is there anyone who is equal to me in fight? So Narad Muni said, yes, there is one army which is equal to your strength. Who is that? The Jatus. Oh, is it so? He said, I'm going to attack. <laughs> so in the meantime, Jarasandha actually sent a letter to Kalajavana that I'm going to attack. So will you join me? And Kalajavana said that that's your business. I'm not going to join anybody. I'll attack him on my own and I'll defeat him. So Jarasandha thought that when he is going to attack, I'll also attack from the other side. Although he is not going to join me, but uh, the, the attack will be simultaneous. Now there is a history behind Kalajavana also. You see, Gargamuni, their family priest, was married to one of the Jadu girls, one of the princes. And once some Jadus kind of jokingly well made some, cracked some uh, unpleasant joke to Gargamuni. And Gargamuni became very upset. So he wanted to take revenge. But he's a Brahmana, so he couldn't take revenge himself. So he decided to have a son who would take revenge. So he went to the southern ocean and for 12 years he performed austerities, eating only iron dust. All he was eating was just iron dust. And as a result of his austerities, Lord Shiva became very pleased with him. So he came to him. And he asked, what do you want? He said that, I want a son who, uh, uh, who he didn't say defeat, he said he would give trouble to the Jatus. And so, and in course of time, he got a son. That is Kalajavana. Like Gargamuni offered his son to the king of the Javanas. Javana is a race. So he uh, offered the son to the king. And the king didn't have any son. So he was very happy to have this child. And in due course of time, <coughs> 
college, I want to become a king, and he was a very, very powerful person. So there was one catch also, that Gargamuni had a kind of assurance that the Jadus will never harm him or his family members, kill them. They would never kill him, no matter what. So in this way, Kale came to attack with, guess the number, 30 million soldiers. So <clears throat> Krishna consulted with Balaram, so look, looks like quite a troublesome situation. Like Kali Javani is attacking from one side and most probably Jarasandha will also come and attack within a short time. So how we are, when we are fighting, maybe Jarasandha will, when you are fighting with Kali Javana, Jarasandha will come and uh, attack our city from the other side and probably they'll cause a lot of damage and uh, harm our relatives. Maybe they'll take, he will take some of them as captive. So uh, let's take some precaution. So Krishna called Vishakarma. You know who is Vishakarma? <coughs> Vishakarma is the engineer of the demigod. And Krishna said, Vishakarma, build a city in the middle of the ocean, overnight. Vishakarma said, fine, at your service, my lord. And overnight Vishakarma built a city in the middle of the ocean, and that is and it was actually a fortress. It was a fortress with walls all around and the ocean as the moat. So that no enemy could come there. And overnight, Krishna transported all the Brajabhata, all the residents of Mathura by Jogamaya to Dwarka. They all were transported. So in the morning when they woke up, they found, wow, where are we? And they found the name place in front of their houses. <laughs> so in this way, after transporting everyone from Mathura to Dwarka, in the, then Kalejavan actually sieged the city. So Krishna, just wearing a lotus garland, came out without any weapon. And Kalajavana, when he saw Krishna, he realized, he recognized that this is it. This is the person that Narayamuni spoke about. Bluish complexion, yellow garments, flower garlands. So beautiful that even Cupid becomes not one or two, millions of cupids become enchanted just by seeing his beauty. So, 
And Kaliyavanas felt that, okay, he is not carrying any weapon. So I also won't attack him with weapon. <coughs> with bare hand, I will catch him and fight with him. <coughs> so Krishna was going, Krishna was going towards Kaljavan. And Kaljavan was thinking that maybe he will attack. So he was standing there. Then Krishna just kept on walking. <coughs> and Kaljavan dropped his weapons and he was waiting to confront Krishna. But when Krishna started walking, he tried to catch him. But although it seemed that Krishna was just walking and Kaljavan was running at full speed, he couldn't catch him. Just a little few inches ahead of him. He thought that now I'm going to catch him. So this is how Krishna then came to one mountain. And he entered into the mountain cave. And Kalyavan also followed him and entered into the cave. He said, oh, now you're going to hide from me in the cave. Okay, I'm going to catch you and I'm going to teach you a lesson. And when he entered into the cave in semi-darkness, he saw somebody was lying there. So he thought that it was Krishna. He said, oh, now you're like, like lying down like a saint. So, and he kicked that person. And when that, he kicked that person, that person woke up. And he just looked at Kaljavana and Kaljavana's body got burned into ashes. <coughs> and then he saw Krishna. And he said, who are you? Like it seems that you are the most beautiful personality, the most attractive personality. I feel bad that with your soft lotus-like feet you had been running barefoot. You had been walking through these roads uh, full of pebbles and thorns. So <clears throat> then Krishna revealed his identity. Now who is this? Who is this personality? The personality is, you want to say? Muchukunda. Very good. So Muchukunda was from the Treta Yuga. And this was end of the upper Yuga. And Muchukunda was a great warrior. He was such a valiant warrior that the demigods, when they were attacked by the demons, they approached Muchukunda, Indra approached Muchukunda and said, we are in great distress, so will you please give us the support? Will you please help us by fighting the demons or keeping the demons at bay? So Muchukunda agreed and he protected the demigods for a long time. 
And then when Kartikeya was born as the son of Lord Shiva and Parvati, then Kartikeya became their general. So Indra told Muchukanda that you served for many years. So please ask for any benediction. So Muchukunda, he said, what do I need actually? I don't need anything. But all I need is to sleep because I'm so tired. Fighting for so long. So if you want to give any benediction, then give me the benediction that I'll just sleep uninterrupted. And if anyone wakes me up untimely, then he'll be burnt to ashes. So that's why Muchukunda was in a mountain cave and he was sleeping there for such a long time. And then Kalajavana came, woke him up and got burnt to ashes. Then Krishna uh, also told Kal Muchukanda, and now that you have seen me, ask for any benediction. So Muchukanda's response was, what do I need? I don't need anything. All I need is, is your devotion. So Krishna was very pleased. He said, less intelligent people want material prosperity material enjoyment, material sense gratification. But a real wise person wants to become free from material bondage because they know that this material nature is a place of suffering. So if it's a place of suffering, why should we try to stay here and try to make arrangements for enjoyment? Rather become situated in a place where enjoyment becomes spontaneous, readily available. But in your, because you fought and distressed many, many people as a warrior, as a Kshatriya, after this birth you have to take another birth. And in that birth you'll become a Brahmana. And he'll become the real well-wisher of all living entities. And then you'll go back to my spiritual abode. So this is how Muchukunda was blessed by Krishna. And Muchukunda then went to Gandamadan mountain in Badarik Ashram. He started to perform his devotion to Lord. Devotional service to the Lord. So Krishna then came <clears throat> to the back to Mathura and uh, him and Balaram wiped out all. How many soldiers were there? 30, From 30, 30 30 million. Million. I mean, that Kalajavana brought 30 million. Wiped them out. Now in the meantime, Jarasandha attacked. But this time, Krishna didn't want to confront Jarasandha. 
because Krishna consulted with Balaram that uh, these demons, although they are demons and they will be annihilated in course of time, but uh, their time is not ready now to be annihilated. So Krishna developed a device. So as if Krishna became afraid, Krishna and Balaram, mm-hmm. seeing Jarasandha's vast army. And they started to run. So he ran away from the battlefield, therefore Krishna is known as Ranchor. So Krishna ran and Jarasandha with his army and soldiers were chasing him. And they came to a mountain called Proversion Mountain. It's a very high mountain. So Krishna and Balaram just went into the mountain. So Jarasandha thought that now you are hiding from me. <laughs> and he searched for Krishna and Balaram in the mountain, couldn't find him. So he thought that he will set the mountain to fire. And he collected inflammable items, logs and all kinds of things and set the mountain into fire. And Krishna and Balaram went on top of the mountain and from there they jumped and they landed next to the ocean and then from there they went to Dwaraka. And Jarasandha thought that Krishna and Balaram not only ran away from the battlefield, now they're dead. So in this way Jarasandha had his desire fulfilled. You, you can see how tenacious he was. He collected all his strength for 17 times and he got defeated 17 times, but still he wouldn't give up. After the first defeat, Jarasandha was feeling so dejected, he was thinking that he would give up his life. But his other allies said, Jarasandha, it's only a matter of time. Your karma was not in your favor. That's why you got defeated. But don't worry, good time will come. <laughs> so don't give up. Don't give up your life. So finally, Jarasandha felt, oh, now I have defeated Krishna and Balarama. I have taken revenge. So this is how Jarasandha felt that he defeated Krishna. And he went back to his kingdom, Magad, with a proud uh, heart that now he has defeated Krishna. But can anyone defeat Krishna? It's only a matter of time. Sometimes somebody may feel that Krishna has been defeated, but Krishna is never defeated. Okay, so... We can invite some questions now. This morning there are quite a few questions, quite a nice question, few nice questions. 
Please feel free to ask. Give it to him, Sabasachi. Hare Krishna Gurmash, thank you for your class. Um, you began your class by telling us about uh, Kamsa's two wives. Um, is there a, a relation? I heard something about the elephant, Kuvalaya Peep, how he came into Kamsa's uh, custody. Um, could you relate how Kamsa got there? Kovalapir was a very powerful elephant and one day the elephant got, you know, became loose and he started to create havoc everywhere. And at that time Kamsa was wrestling. So he confronted the elephant, picked up the elephant and threw the elephant a few miles away. So that is how the elephant became subdued to Kamsa. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and in reality also, these, all these personalities, all the demons of different sorts, they had their background also. Many of them were sages or personalities. Just remove that or decide it. Any other question? What happened? Hare Krishna Maharaj. I just wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, from yesterday's class, you mentioned something about six limbs of surrender. And uh, what are the six limbs of surrender? Oh, very good. Those six limbs of surrender are first is Dainna, humble disposition. Then Atma Nivedan, offering oneself to Krishna. Then third is Gokhtritya Bodham, accepting Krishna as the Lord and Master. Then fourth is, have the implicit faith that Krishna will always protect. Then fifth is accepting whatever is favorable to Krishna consciousness and sixth is rejecting whatever is detrimental to Krishna consciousness. Okay? Give it to the back. That way, that way. Come, Chandrasekhar. Oh, you have a question. Okay. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Um, it's regarding yesterday's morning class. Um, I had a question. Sorry, my baby interrupted. I had to go. Um, you know, Maharaj, you, you were referring when a person naturally dies, uh, the gross body goes away, but the subtle body is there and it is called ghost body. But um, generally, I mean, what I have heard is when untimely death comes, like if someone takes away their life like a suicide, then they wander as a ghost, isn't it? So what is the difference between a person who naturally dies and his subtle body is there? And even, even I wanted to ask, if someone dies in accident, 
what happens to the subtle body. I'm not too sure whether I'm putting <coughs> properly yeah. words, but... Yeah, I got your point. Yeah, suicide or accident. Uh, these are uh, considered to be uh, untimely death. And as a result of that, one doesn't get another gross body. Mm? And they remain in that subtle body. They can't go to the next destination, which is getting another gross body. So that is the situation generally. Mm. But Maharaj, accident is different, right? It's not in our hands. Maybe, but nothing is actually accident. Right? In the nature, whatever happens. Like, you see, it's something like this. That's why you use the expression, untimely death. Say, for example, <coughs> the duration is 100 years. Now, one is meant to live for 100 years. But when one commits sinful activities, his longevity, his duration of life decreases. Say, sinful activities bring them to 90 years. Sinful activities bring them to 80 years, 60 years, 50 years, 40 years. So, you know, up to 40 years, is life is finished, minus. And then when he reaches, say, 40, all of a sudden, So that is uh, that is what happens when you call accidental death. Mm-hmm. Now that's why we have to see, you know, like I mean, sinful reactions are inevitable. Therefore, we must try to be free from sinful reactions. And what is the way of becoming free from sinful reactions? Tell me. Do you know? We are practicing our sadhana bhakti daily. Sarva dharman parikhtajya. Do you know that verse? Okay, what's the translation? Renounce all type of dharma, just surrender into me. Aham, sarva pape view. I will take away all your pap and give you liberation. Moksha. Did he say moksha? Moksha. No. no. Sarvo papiksha, moksha is shami, means deliver. Deliver. Moksha is I'll deliver you from. So tell me what is the way to become free from sinful reaction? Surrender to Krishna. Surrender to Krishna. So whatever has happened to others and things, Let's not worry about it. Let's worry about ourselves. Like how to... I mean, can anybody say that he is sinless? <clears throat> At least in this age. We, no one can say that he is sinless. So all of us have certain degree of sin. We don't really know how much sin we have accrued from the past. So therefore, the safest course to take is Thank you. I'm sorry, Gumaraj. Thank you for your class. You were mentioning, Gumaraj, that uh, the pastimes of Krishna and Vrindavan 
are considered to be the highest and sweetest. So a, a misinformed or innocent person may ask, oh, why then hear about or speak about uh, Krishna's pastimes outside of Vrindavan? Yeah, well, Krishna has different aspects. Krishna's, as one aspect is Krishna of Vrindavan, son of Nanda Maharaj. But there is also Krishna, son of Vasudev, uh, whose place of activities are Mathura and Dwarka and Kurukshetra. So those pastimes are there. So that's why he is involved in, he comes and reveals those pastimes as well. Not that everybody will be, will develop his relationship with Krishna in Vrindavan. Many others will develop their relationships with Krishna in Dwarka or Hastinapur or Vaikuntha. So that's why Krishna reveals his pastimes in that way. The Vrindavan pastimes goes up to Komar age. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Koishwar age. Komar age is a childhood. Poganda is from 6 to 10. And Koishwar is 11 to 15. And then Krishna leaves Dwarka. I mean, for Mathura. Krishna leaves Vrindavan for Mathura. And he reveals his pastimes there. That's also Krishna's pastimes. Yes, Hare Krishna. I also still have a question from yesterday's class. Um, when you were discussing about the um, anesthesia, when it is um, given to the body, and the soul, the consciousness cannot it's not transmitted through the nerve system. What actually, what happens to the soul? I mean, um, because there is no consciousness at that moment. Is it like deep sleep or is it? Yeah, the soul is there, right? And his consciousness may be there, right? But not being projected through the gross body, through the nervous system. It can function in the subtle body, like even at that stage one may be dreaming. Sometimes people also get outer body experience. That means subtle body goes out and from there they see the gross body. Does the sun name sound same? <laughs> Kaldevi is a demon uh, who was the son of Hiranyakashipu, who became Kamsa. Kaldevi is Kamsa. And Kaljavana is another person, the son of Gargamu. Hare Krishna, Pranam Maharaj. Hare Krishna. 
uh, had a very interesting end to come, sir. But I have two questions. One is, where is the seat of the soul in the body? I've heard about mind or heart. Is there a particular place where yeah. the soul is? The seat of the soul is the heart. Thank you. The second question is, okay, Krishna annihilated the demons. We are living in a very troubled world at the moment. You see a lot of poverty, suffering, abuses, and all this migration Countries don't live in peace. What is the solution? We can't change the world, but as, as say, individuals or devotees... Yes, you can change the world provided you do the right thing. And the way, as you asked, Krishna did say that he will yada yada dharma saglani bhavati bharata. So Krishna came in this age as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he gave the process of the Sankirtan. So by Sankirtan, this ill effect that you all, that you mentioned can be eradicated. That's the only way. There's no other way. Therefore, those who are following Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they should have implicit faith in the process and continue. Should we be concerned? We, can, we can't help with uh, these kinds of uh, calamities or situations, but what would be an individual's role? Chant Hare Krishna and invite everybody to also chant Hare Krishna. <laughs> Okay, I'll give you a simple, simple uh, consideration. Are you chanting Hare Krishna? I am, but... Are you, did you accept... Don't worry about others, I'm asking about you. Did you, did you accept the process of Krishna consciousness? Yes. Did you surrender to Krishna? Yes. Very good. Now, ever since you did that, did your problems get solved? I feel better in the sense uh, my problems okay. are still there. Okay, simple question. Not only you feel better, do you feel like becoming a terrorist? <laughs> do you feel like inflicting pain on others? Do you like to help others towards yes. their prosperity? Right? Now, why did it happen? Because you took to Krishna consciousness. Right? Now consider, if everybody takes to Krishna Consciousness, what will happen? It will be a better place. Exactly. All the problems will be solved. So now, it's not going to happen just like that. We have to make an effort. Just consider the power of that process. Srila Prabhupada alone, at the age of 70, went to America. And see what Prabhupada has done. Just what one person has done, right? Now, if we all get together, what can we do, right? But the problem is, nowadays, although many of us have taken to Krishna consciousness, but we are not committing ourselves the way Prabhupada did. 
we are thinking, oh, I have my family, I have this, I have that. Mm. Prabhupada also had his family, right? But if Prabhupada remained in his family, then Krishna consciousness would have spread the way it did. So I would suggest that at a certain age, like Prabhupada, you all give up everything and come to us. Consider this first class, second class, and third class. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu defined that. Those who are chanting Hare Krishna Mahamantra, uh, they are devotees. Those who are chanting Hare Krishna Mahamantra all the time, they are second class devotees. And just by seeing whom one keeps on chanting, they are the first class devotees. So now you got the answer? Ah. Okay. Yes. Mukunari, you have a question also. In the kingdom of uh, people like Jarasandha and uh, Kalahari Yamuna, what was the form of dharma in their kingdom? You know, what for the people? Mm. Like, you see, Jarasandha was a devotee, was a worshipper of Narayana. Jarasandha was very pious. He would never refuse a Brahmana. But still he is a demon, because he didn't accept Krishna. So that is the, that is the paradox, you see. In one hand they are very pious, very noble in their nature, but demons, because they are not accepting Krishna. Worshipping Narayan, but not worshipping Krishna. So that worship is ritualistic. They are just caught up with rituals, but not into the reality. But Kal Javana, I don't know. Javana is a meditator, right? So probably he was a meditator. But Jarasandha, Shishupal, apparently they were pious people. Karna, Father Ram. So generous. And we'll discuss about Jarasandha more. It'll come into that when Yudhishthira Maharaj was about to perform the Rajasuya Yagya. Then Krishna suggested that Jarasandha should be dealt with first. <laughs> <laughs> 
because Jarasandha was extremely powerful and if Jarasandha went against Yudhishthira Maharaj, which he would have done, it would have been very difficult for him to perform the yoga. And besides that, Jarasandha already kept captivated, uh, imprisoned, 95 kings. He was waiting for five more. And then he would have offered those hundred to Bhadrakali to get the power to defeat Krishna. So anyway, I'll come to that point afterwards. How Krishna arranged to kill Jarasandha. I may have a question regarding the, the sentence you said in the morning. Unfair arrangement is the worst kind of sinful activities. Unfair is arrangement is the worst kind of sinful activities. So can activities. you give me the context in what context I said? What is unfair arrangement? It was in the morning class, and then you said... It was the wrestlers against Krishna. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's unfair, you know, the match is not fair. Like there should be fought among equals. But this is an arrangement to bring Krishna and Balaram to a wrestling match where they have to fight with such terrible demons, right? And whereas Krishna and Balaram are just 11 years old. Is it uh, by killing Kamsa, is it God want to do Viragasa? Killing? Yes, it is Viragasa. It's not only for the Vijay and Vijay, they took uh, three yeah. birds. No, whenever Krishna is fighting with somebody, it's Viragasa. Chivalry is derived out of fighting. Hare Krishna um, just something that uh, one of the sisters mentioned this morning. Um, in the Vedas, is, is, I think she said it's acceptable to, to sacrifice or kill an animal. Was that correct? Did I hear it correctly? Yeah. yeah. And so are we saying it's acceptable in, in the culture to kill? Yeah. But I am explained. I didn't quite understand yeah. that, so I do apologize. See, the animal that is sacrificed, that animal gets a new body, mm. young body. And old animal gets a young body or gets a human body, or becomes elevated to heavenly planets. So I just think back to um, other religions, like Muslim religion, um, Judaism, uh, where they sacrifice in the name of God, uh, and then they eat the animal. Um, so is that acceptable as well? As I said also, that in the age of Kali, this animal sacrifice has been forbidden. Because no one can actually perform the sacrifice in such a way that the animal will get elevated. So that's why I don't do it. And that's why no meat eating. Bass. Thank you. Krishna Guru Maharaj, I have one question. Yeah. How do we understand um, you know, newborn babies or some young people who actually die of cancer or some, some other illnesses? So early, is it because they've had sinful activities in the, in the previous life? And yes. 
You see, that's the question that Christians often ask. And that's why, you see, unless and until you accept the consideration of previous birth or rebirth, this, this cannot be understood. I mean, we are not here only in this life. We have been here in the past. So whatever is happening in this life is either the reactions from this life's activities or past life's activities. So that is how we have to face the reality. And not, I mean, why we are saying only, you know, like right after birth, somebody is suffering some condition. You know, the question is, where did he, what did he do? Why he is? Because they are taking the life only from this point. So he didn't really have any opportunity to accrue any karma. Right? But on the other hand, let's consider why someone is born as a prince? Why someone is born as a millionaire's son? So not only the suffering condition is the result of pre previous bias activities, the uh, joyful situations are also the results of previous activities. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to know, I've heard a couple of times about this uh, choice that was given to Jan Vijay to take either three births as devotees or seven or six as... Is there a reference somewhere for that? Uh, yes. I have to check it. You see, one thing we have to understand that in Bhagavatam, things are, the descriptions are very limited. Bhagavatam is actually giving in a very short and brief description. The elaborate descriptions are there in other scriptures, mainly other Puranas. Just now, Guru Maharaj mentioned that we have to wait until the age of 70. Then we have to give up and go back for the series. Did I say 17? No. <laughs> no, I would say 17. <laughs> Thank you, Guru Maharaj. That he can handle, right? 
So similarly, Krishna actually puts his devotees in situations that they can deal with. Krishna never puts a devotee in a situation that he won't be able to deal with. And by doing that, see, okay, the teacher puts the student in certain class through the exams. Now what was the purpose of the exams? To be promoted to the next grade. So similarly, Krishna actually puts the devotees through different tests so that they can advance. Mm. How do we understand when they fail? Mm. When they, how do we understand when they fail, when they actually turn away from him? Yeah, the well, bad luck. <laughs> uh, if you don't prepare yourself and you go to the exam hall, how do you expect to pass? So, you know, we have to be following the process properly. We have to prepare ourselves properly for the exams. And that is, that what is that, uh, the preparation? Faith. Faith in Krishna. The deeper the faith, more will depend upon Krishna. And Krishna, we, we can rest assured that Krishna will never fail us. If we surrender to him, we'll never fail. Nami Bhakta Pranashati. Krishna is giving the assurance. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Um, I heard that uh, Radharani and Krishna needed to be separated for 100 years. What's that? I heard somewhere, I don't know where, that Krishna and Radharani had to be separated for 100 years. Okay, okay. That is, apparently it seemed that Krishna didn't go to Vrindavan for 100 years. Right? But Krishna never lived, left Vrindavan. And as I mentioned also yesterday, that when they, the gopis, would, or the residents of Vrindavan would meet Krishna, but they'll feel that they're dreaming. So Krishna never left Vrindavan. So there was no curse. There was no curse. Radharani wasn't cursed. That is an apparent thing. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. That's an apparent. I mean, that's a side thing, you know, just to justify this happening. Maharaj, you know, from what we discussed. One either suffers or benefits from one's own karma or past karma. Then why do you know we have this ritual of having you know ceremony for twelve days or you know or doing things for them in, in wider family? It's actually you know by counteracting that. That's you know there is a way to counteract, but those counteracting will not solve the problem permanently. Like say, for example, uh, somebody makes a mistake, commits a crime, and he appeals to the court. Uh, please forgive me. And the court says, okay, pay so much fine. Right? So, you know, that, that crime is kind of, punishable crime is mitigated to some extent. But that is not going to solve all the problems, all the criminal acts. So these are just temporary arrangements. 
like, uh, and these are, you know, like, you know, as I said, like these are, these are only temporary. Uh, I'll, I'll from there, I'll go to another one, which might sound silly, no, but, you know, like at the moment, they talk about Ganges being very dirty and things like that, you know. I'm reaching the age when I might be in my box very soon. <laughs> so, and, you know, to my family I say, I should, my ashes should never go to Ganges. Because never we have go to? Ganges, because we are going to pollute Ganges. Ganges. Okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Well, the main thing is that Ganga doesn't get polluted. Why, why are we talking about the pollution all the time against this and Jamuna, both of them? Yeah, Jamuna is okay because Jamuna's potency or Jamuna's uh, effect is not so prominent in the age of Kali, in this age. But Ganga will, is the only source besides devotees to purify the planet. And that's why you'll notice, like Jamuna is drying out and they're diverting the Jamuna water to Punjab and doing all kinds of things. But Ganges is flowing uninterrupted. And a few years back, maybe even about 10, 12 years back, I read a report. You see, a joint research was undertaken by German scientists, uh, Swiss scientists, uh, British scientists, and French scientists. You know, quite a few, you know, a group of scientists wanted to figure out the, the Ganga waters special effect. And they undertaken this research in Kanpur. Very polluted. Where is the most polluted? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Kanpur actually has the biggest slaughterhouse. Mm -hmm. Kanpur is a kind of congested with all kinds of factories and things. And they're dumping all that garbage in the Ganga. But they found that within few miles the water is here. The British, when they used to sail there, sail, huh, they used to carry Ganga water when they used to come from India. Because they found that Ganga water never gets contaminated. I also personally have an experience. You see, Calcutta Temple at one time was thinking of, you know, shipping Ganga water to America. Right? And so, they collected Ganga water to be tested. And they kept them in, you know, those jerry cans, metal cans that you carry petrol. So a few of them, they were kept in jerry cans. And they were sitting there. The project didn't materialize. So this water was just sitting there for years. And then the temple person had got an idea. Let's see. Have the water tasted and see what happens. 
And they got the water tasted, and the water was absolutely pure. So, you know, that is Ganga. And if at all there is some sins uh, are deposited in Ganga, then it has been said that when the devotees go and take bath, then they take the sin away. Ganga actually appealed to Krishna. Like in the Kali Yuga, people will be talking about sin. So Krishna assured, okay, don't worry. When the devotees will come and take bath, they'll free you from their that's those sinful reactions. But does, you know, taking the Yeah, I didn't complete the thing. <laughs> the main point is, the question actually is whether you want to derive the benefit yourself. Just by putting the ash in Ganga, the departed soul derives the benefit. Well, if you're confident that you're going to go, go back to God, it's a different issue. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> then don't miss this opportunity. <laughs> Whatever I do, no, I have no chance. <laughs> He's the first one going there. Yeah. He's yeah. saying no chance, but we all know he's going to be the first to go there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.